Welcome to Don't Box Me In, the show that features conversations with people from all walks of life, talking about their extraordinary experiences and inspirational messages. Now, here's your host, Lana Reed. Hello, hello, hello. Like they said, I'm Lana Reed, and welcome back to this week's edition of Don't Box Me In. Before I get started, this is a very, very special week for me. Sunday was my daughter's 20th birthday. Today is my mother's 64th birthday, and I know she's sitting there waiting for me to say happy birthday, and I don't want to have to get any time out, you know, because she's still mom. So I want to say happy, happy birthday to two very special girls in my life, my daughter and my mom. Um, so uh, wishing you many, many more. Now, uh, moving on to Doe Box Me In for today. You know, there's this thing called life that happens to be such a funny creature. And, you know, we set about making these plans for how we want and how we expect for our life to play out. And sometimes life does this wonderful thing and throws us a curveball, you know, and turns us all around. My guest today knows all about life getting turned around. Rodney S. Jones is an engaging coach, consultant, speaker, and trainer who teaches emerging leaders how to transition into high-performance executives with the right knowledge, skill set, and coaching. He is here today to share how share with us how life handed him some greatness out of the unexpected. I'm happy to have him here with me on the show today and with pleasure that I welcome him. Rodney, welcome to Don't Box Me In. Thank you so much. Glad to be here. Thank you. Thank you for hanging out with me. I appreciate you so, so much. So where are you uh, talking to me from today? I'm talking to you from rainy Lawrenceville, Georgia, about 25 miles northeast of central Atlanta. Okay, okay. So um, we're going to start off here at the beginning of your story because it's, it's quite packed full of stuff. So Georgia's not where you were born, though, right? No, I'm a, I was born in Chicago, Illinois, uh, on the south side. My mother went into the military, so I did a little bit of traveling. I uh, stayed for a couple of years in Hawaii, but pretty much uh, settled in Texas. So I'm a, I say that uh, I'm a Texas boy with Chicago roots. <laughs> Okay, okay. I've spent plenty, plenty days in Chicago. Know it well, know it well. And I'm also a uh, Air Force brat myself. So I know that moving around and that military life and it plops you here and there. And uh, I think the residual effects I've left with that is I don't like to sit still too long. But, you know, I'm still a work in progress with that one. So Texas is where you uh, pretty much would call Home base. Yeah, that's, that's, that's where home is. That's where I grew up. Grew up in Central Texas. Uh, went to uh, grade school and high school there. Graduated high school. Went to the University of Texas. Hook 'em horns for any Longhorns that are <laughs> out there. Hope we don't get bounced in this tournament. Uh, <laughs> and then afterwards, um, left school and still stayed in Texas primarily. Spent the last 13 years of my life in Houston. So Houston is actually where I've spent most of my life uh, out of all the places that I lived. And then here recently in the past year and a half, we moved to the Atlanta area to be closer to my mother-in-law. Uh, she was dealing with some health issues and I wanted my wife to be closer to her. So we, uh, what I was, what I do is portable. So we picked up and moved and I uh, hadn't looked back and I'm glad we did so because everything has been great since making the transition. Awesome. Awesome. So, um, you know, that being portable thing is such a wonderful thing. You can work from anywhere. And I mean, t technology today is such a beautiful, beautiful thing that allows us to have that flexibility. But I want to backtrack just a little bit because uh, I was going through your website. You know, I try to prepare and get to know my guests as much as possible before, you know, uh, we're on the air. So I was, you know, being nosy and perusing all through your website there, you know, trying to get a feel for who Rodney was. And, and I love the little, Growing up pictures that were. <laughs> I, I forgot about that until you just mentioned it. I forgot. Somebody, well, all she saw was just a bio, but oh yeah, I, I did put that on there. Yeah, you've, got, you've got this lovely, you know, display of Rodney growing up pictures, you know, and I'm going to be honest, you know, I chuckled quite a bit. <laughs> I put it out there because I'm very secure in who I am, but back then, it was, I, you can tell from the face, I, it was not a laughing matter. I was, I was not happy with that, but it had, it's on there not to you know draw attention or or not to um, you know just be totally narcissistic it's actually on there for a reason because i simply don't believe that i'm the only one who walked that path there's no way i can be because life is about principles and you know you, you can't you can't remake the wheel so there's nothing that one person has gone through that another person won't or hasn't and so i put that on there to really relate to people 
that, you know, it didn't start out bed of roses and, and there was a transition not only physically, <laughs> but mentally uh, as well as socially. But it all plays into, you know, who you hear over these airways right now. And I'm, my wife teases me. I'm still that person back in middle school when she's around. So <laughs> <laughs> You are truly the uh, the story, the, uh, the duckling who turns into a swan, you know. And like you said, it plays out in so many lives. But And, you know, we need to hear that sometimes. Because sometimes when we're going through our own individual struggles, we're like, you know, this is just me. Nobody understands. But, you know, it, it makes it a little bit more bearable when you have somebody say, okay, well, if this person went through all of this and they came out on the other end, you know, then possibly I can make it too. And, um, you know, that was kind of the chuckle that I got when I was looking through, you know, the evolution of Rodney in those pictures there. (laughs) But um, the first picture, it it says that, you know, childhood for you was a little bit rough and, um, you know, it was lacking. And I was just wondering if I could trouble you to share, you know, what was life growing up for you like? No, no problem. Um, it, it was lacking in in every way, and this isn't to minimize um, anything that anyone else is going through currently or went through. This is just you know my personal story. But you know we didn't. Uh, when I say we, it was myself. I have two younger sisters. Obviously, they're in the, the, the mix as well. I have, um, and then there was my mom and um, my stepdad, who you know from age seven was considered my dad because I only remember seeing my biological father once in my life. Um, so, you know, in and out of, of houses, I mean, I didn't, I never knew why we would move at three o'clock in the morning, but when I grew up, I found that it was because they couldn't pay rent. Mm-hmm. And when there was no food in the house, there was literally no food in the house. There was ice in the freezing. There was mayonnaise in the refrigerator. Um, you know, I went to school, you know, wearing, my my parents clothes both male and female mm-hmm. um yeah and and i would also um it was when you know how in the beginning of the school year you get the circulars that say hey it's back to school time yes just, well i had a rude awakening i went to um i went to the mailbox got the thing and you know saw all the back to school gear went to my parents and said hey you know can we can i get this can i get this and they looked at me and laughed uh, and it was at that point that I knew that, you know, I needed to get used to this. I needed to. So I dreaded the first day of school when other people had their their fresh gear on and their you know hair done. I hated it because my shoes had holes in them. When it rained, I would purposefully dodge puddles so that my socks wouldn't get wet. And it wasn't until I was age 25 that I, I purposefully started stepping in puddles because I was so conditioned. That that was my life. So, you know, yeah, there was lack. But again, not to to undermine or minimize anything that anyone else is going through, because like I said, I'm not the only person, but that's what life was like to me. I mean, it was, uh, you know, having, you know, three meals a day, you know, having one was a good day. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it wasn't an everyday thing, but it was something that, you know, when it happened, we were used to it. So when I got to college and people were talking about hungry college students. I'm like, I got this down. (laughs) See, I know how to do this, right? Yeah. (laughs) This is old familiar space for me. Wow. (laughs) Then then, so that kind of, you know, it it played its way into the social part of me going to school because I I wasn't, um, I wasn't one of the kids that got bullied or anything like that, but I just was, I wasn't popular. I wasn't in that A crowd because I didn't have the Jordans. I had McGregor's, you know, the knockoff. No, I didn't have, you know, the nice clothes. I was wearing my dad's shirts and my mom's jeans, you know, because mm-hmm. I was tall. She was short. You know, I, I didn't have all of those nice things. So I was the person that occasionally would be the, you know, the punchline of a joke. But, um, you know, it it, it really did. Uh, at that time, it did a little bit of damage to my, my self-esteem and definitely my confidence because, you know, with, as it relates to relationships, you know, I was I was not that person who I didn't have a girlfriend until I think I was in college. Yeah, in college. I, I was I was thinking I said okay when those teenage years hit that's already traumatic for anybody with you know the proper gear. Those teenage years are rough. So with all that you were going through, I can just imagine that it was just a little bit more you know difficult when the girls were coming around and you know like no maybe I'll choose somebody besides Rodney. So. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> <laughs> it was. It just wasn't that much thinking involved. It was. Oh, he's just a friend. I was in the friend zone. You know, oh, for, that for, word yeah. that guys like to hear, even when they're grown. Huh? The friend yeah. zone. 
And it's worse when they call you a brother. So that, that <laughs> So I'm assuming high school, did we do like the typical high school stuff, prom and all of that stuff? Yeah, I did. You know, I started to, you know, I, w- I was blessed to have an aunt who, um, you know, she knew our situation and, um, you know, she would send some clothes and she was in Chicago and she would send uh, Jordans and she would send, you know, the T-shirts. So because it was the only thing I had, oh, yeah, they were getting worn every day. I'm talking <laughs> about and everything. So when I got it, I definitely held on to it. But towards the latter part of, uh, of high school, I started coming out of a shell. Um, my my platform was in the choir room. I, uh, I was a singer. And so I would went, whereas other people would go out on the field and win their accolades, I would win accolades making all state, you know, in the state of Texas two years in a row. So that's how I got my name in a paper and got a little bit of notoriety around uh, the high school hallways. And um, so I started coming out around that time, but I still didn't have the confidence to to uh, to to really be that person. I remember my best friend at the time we were walking in the mall and there was a there was a girl on the other side of the mall, and and he he was this three star athlete, you know, straight mm-hmm. A student. Girls loved him, and uh, he said, "Rod, she's looking at you." I'm like, "No, she's not. She's looking at you." He said, "Rod, she's looking at you. Go talk to her." And so I went over there because you know otherwise you get called a punk by your best friend. Mm-hmm. So I went over and I said hi, and she said hi, and then I left. Rodney had no game. No, nine, nine. He said, why are you over here? I said, I spoke to her. He said, what'd you say? I said, I said, hi. And and that was it. So confidence, you know, even though I was starting to come out of the shell, the confidence thing was never there because I just always felt like rejection was right around the corner. And I didn't, I still don't like rejection. So I do everything I can to avoid it. But at that point, rejection, you know, it, it shone such a bright light on the, on the situation that I didn't want to be in the middle of that. There was enough things working against me that if I wanted people to laugh at me, I could pick one of those. Uh, I didn't need to add. <laughs> and it's funny because you had one of the tools that ladies seem to like the most if you could sing. I mean, that's usually a, a easy shoe in for a guy if he could sing to a lady and you just hadn't realized, you know, you had already some built in tools to make you uh, very you know, appealing to ladies, you know, but you know, it's, it's growth, it's evolution, you know, and, um, I'm pretty sure you're much more confident now because you wouldn't be doing what you're, you're doing to these days, but just a little bit, right? You know, and yeah. I tell people all the time, you know, cause they, they say, you know, Oh, Lana, people in your field, you know, public speaking, you guys are so confident. And I always tell them you would be amazed at how, um, sometimes insecure and shy the people who get on the stage and do what we do actually are. You know, we still have our kind of like hangups and like, oh, I don't know, you know, I'm looking at the audience and they're not really giving me any feedback. Maybe I really do suck. I don't know, you know, so, you know, it, it is, it's not always, even though you see us doing what we're doing, you know, we still, we still struggle with some confidence every now and then. And that's just what, what makes us human. And, and now we, we just know how to use it. I mean, people ask me all the time, you know, before I sing or before I speak, do you get nervous? And I tell them, yeah, I, I get nervous right sure. as my name is being uh, announced, right as my bio is being read or my introduction is being done. You know, but there, there are coping mechanisms that we have. And then as soon as I hit the stage, that's that's my arena. Uh, that That's my zone. I'm in my flow. And, you know, it leaves. And now my focus is making sure that the audience gets what they came for. Um, so that I can leave this stage knowing that I did what I was supposed to do. So it's just a matter of learning how to use that, that nervous energy. But absolutely, I mean, I, I say to anyone that doesn't have some level of nervousness prior to addressing one person or an audience is on their way to losing respect for what they do. You know, they're sure. taking it easy at that point. But, yeah, so high school, like I said, was starting to come out of that shell, but uh, it really wasn't until college that I decided to go ahead and and take the leap. Okay, okay. So we're going to take a quick commercial break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about the the duckling becoming a swan in his college years. So stay with me. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Don't Box Me In. Here's your host, Lana Reed. 
Hello, 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 and welcome back to Don't Box Me In. Today I am with the CEO of Adjustment Bureau Consulting, and before the commercial break, we were getting a couple of chuckles about uh, his uh, childhood and high school life, and we were at the point where Rodney was uh, about to uh, go to college. Now, but I want to ask real quick before we get to the college years, uh, you told us that you could uh, sing, you excelled at uh, singing, but you also got an academic, I mean, you got a scholarship to college. Was that for academics? Yes, that was a partial academic scholarship. Okay, so you were awesome and amazing in, in school as well. Yeah, I had to because that was the only way I can dodge getting a whooping. Okay, okay, okay. So we could sing and we we got good grades and now we got a scholarship and we're off to college. And that college again was which one? University of Texas, which starts there, changes the world. Oh, okay. So we go off to college freshman year and we say, you know, Rodney, you're going to be a new Rodney. Is that, that how it happens? That's exactly, I mean, that's exactly what happened. I mean, I get there to campus, um, it's a big campus, 50,000 students, only 5,000 of them are black. Uh, and from my school, there was only a total of six people, uh, that graduated in my class that were going to University of Texas. I was one of them. And they were all white. So what I did was I, I took kind of a, an assessment of the situation, said, hmm, so far I haven't seen them. And I'm pretty sure as years go by, I'm probably not going to see them as much. So herein lies my opportunity to create a new me. So I was doing extreme makeovers before there was a show. <laughs> and, and so I, I, I took the opportunity to say, OK, this is what I'm going to I'm going to study what I'm not. And, and I want to repeat that phrase. I'm going to study what I'm not because I'm going to come back to it later. Okay. And what I wasn't was that popular person. Now, who I was at the core was great. I was, I was a good person. People liked me. People knew I was sincere, had a good heart. I didn't want to change that because that's just, you know, you're just coming, becoming a jerk at that point. Um, but I knew that there were some things and some behaviors that I could alter that would, you know, kind of get my voice heard, get me to be noticed in all the ways I wanted to be noticed. So I started observing what I wasn't. I started observing the UT athletes. You know, these are athletes that were on their ways to the pros. You know, I started observing uh, fraternity guys. I started observing uh, the, the nerds on campus. You know, I started just taking a look at what qualities and traits make them approachable or appealing and what qualities and traits and characteristics are deterrents things that I don't want to pick up. And slowly but surely, I just started adapting those things to my own persona, still wrapping it around the core of who I was and started taking more chances. And the reason I was able to take more chances is because no one knows me here. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a big campus. The people that do know that Rodney, high school Rodney, probably won't see them. And when I do, I probably won't be around these new people that I'm around. So it, it was literally one of those fake it till you make it type thing. People hate that phrase, but we all do it on a day to day basis. It just depends on the, the, the level in which you do it. And so I just started slowly but surely adapting new traits, new behaviors. And what I found was a confidence was growing. And that confidence, I guess, started to <laughs> simmer over once I pledged a fraternity. At that point, you know, it was OK. Now I'm sort of, you know, one in one of the elite groups on campus, the elite, I'll say, uh, on campus. And when uh -huh. things happen, you're going to come to us. And so I'm going to be a part of this. I'm going to be able to infuse my person into this group, you know, and, and that stage, that stage that I was familiar with in middle school and high school, that stage of singing, of performing. Now I started to understand the principles behind it. So I wasn't necessarily singing while doing these things, but I, I understood the stage. It's like, uh -huh. it's kind of, like I grew up on the stage. I know what it's like to perform. I know what you need to do to give a good performance. So let me take those principles and transfer them into this facet and, and aspect of my life. And let's see what I get. And it worked well. And then it happened. Um, May 5th, 1998. I'll never forget it. I was sitting on my couch. I got a phone call from my mother. Uh, and I was familiar with the tone in her voice. And, um, you know, there was some things going on back home that, well, not back home because they had moved, but there were some things going on between her and my dad that, you know, I felt like weren't right and anybody would feel like wasn't right. And my two sisters were there. And my escape 
from that lifestyle was college. Like I said, me getting good grades was all about, I got to get out of here. Mm-hmm. You know, if good grades is the way to do it, let me make sure I do it. Um, so, but when I heard the tone in her voice and, you know, realized that the same things that were going on when I was at home are still going on, my first thought went to my sister and I said, well, where are they? My mom said, they're right here. And it was the summertime. We're about to be the summer. I said, well, send them up here with me for the summer while you all kind of straighten everything out, get everything straightened. And then, you know, at the end of the summer, I'll send them back. Mm-hmm. So she put them on the bus. They got there. And when they got there and they started to tell me in more detail about the things that were going on, like I said, it was more of the same of what I was used to, but it had gone to another level. And I'm thinking, whereas my outlet was, let me just wait until I get to college. I didn't know if they could wait that long. And so my thought was, I got to get y'all out of there. And I never forget, my sister said, Rodney, we've been trying to live with you for the past two years. And I told her, well, if it's going to be done, it has to be done right and legally because they can claim I kidnapped you. Uh And so there started the process of uh, seeking out legal counsel and going to stand before a Texas judge. I remember her asking me, young man, what makes you think that you can provide for these two girls? And I said, I can at least give them a meal. Mm. She gave me a full legal custody. I still have the papers to this day, even though, you know, since they're beyond 18, mm-hmm. uh, they're null and void, but it's kind of, you know, my Goliath's head. Yeah. It was that, that say, you know, I've been granted full legal custody of both of my two younger sisters and I became a, uh, a parental figure. So I went from step shows, parties and hanging out overnight to PTO <laughs> and father figure. Mm-hmm. And it, it was then that everything that I had done to kind of build this confidence and transform into this new writing or this other self. And that's where I put, you know, uh, I read the book, um, the, uh, the, what is it? Um, Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon mm-hmm. Hill, in which he says that there comes a point where, you know, Adversity will hit, and I'm paraphrasing. And when that adversity hits, that's when we're all introduced to our other self. True. And and that's when that other Rodney was kind of warm because it was at that point I had to start making different decisions for a different reason, and they had a whole slew of different consequences to come with them if I made the wrong decision. Mm-hmm. And so my thinking changed, my my actions changed, the people I hung around changed. Uh, I lost friends. I was engaged in college. Uh, she couldn't handle the, the transition. And so she bailed on me. Um, uh, I had close friends that, you know, decided that, you know, hey, you know, you, you could you could have talked to me before you did this. I'm like, OK, I wasn't thinking about talking to anybody. I'm looking at my sisters thinking they need help. I'm sorry that I didn't come to you and say, hey, what do you think? You yeah. know, so yeah, it, yeah. that decision. And, and that led me to, uh, you know, make the decision to leave college, forego my, my college education because, um, I realized very quickly that taking care of two younger girls took more than $8.80 an hour working part-time as a teller. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Right. How old were you when all of this happened? I was 22. They were 12 and 15. Oh, wow. That's a big decision for a 22-year-old. So you're, you, I mean, it, and it happened in a rush, so we're, we're getting that picture, but you're standing before a judge and I'm pretty sure you don't have time to really think a plan through, but you just said that you were making $8 an hour. So in your mind, you were, you were, I, I can, I can do this. $8 an hour. I'm barely probably feeding myself. So, but I can make this happen. Yeah. That- I mean, in, in my mind, the, the comparison was to what they were getting at home and what I used God. to get at home. Okay. And when they came to, to live with me in their eyes, I was rich just because I had a furnished apartment. Okay. Okay. And there as, you know, Rodney's doing a lot better because he has clothes that don't have holes in them. Okay. You know, so, and, and I was used to that. So I understood that, but there was also, you know, I was, um, the scholarship had run out. And, um, so I had financial aid. So there was an other means of income, but, you know, financial aid isn't something that, you know, you want to just keep a hold on to throughout your college years because you go into debt. Um, so that's when the decision was made that, you know what, I, I gotta, I gotta get what I call at that point a grown up job. Mm-hmm. And, and you went from $8 to what, what kind of job did you get to take care of your well, sisters? It's funny because, uh, the first thing I did, and this is why I do what I do. The first thing I did was go to the, the career center 
uh, on campus. And, you know, flagship university, you go to the career center. At that time, I heard that UT graduates were making on average about $28,000. I did the math and I was like, yeah, that's what I need, about $28,000. And so when I went there and asked, you know, hey, here's my situation. Here's what I need to do. The only answers they could give me is we could give you some interviewing tips or we could help you with your resume. It's like, you know, I got that down. My resume is fine. <laughs> you know, I've been on interviews like, but you don't understand. I'm about to leave school and compete with people that have a degree, that mm-hmm. have, you know, uh, network, that have, you know, the, the credentials. How do I compete and not just compete? I need to snatch one of those jobs away from them because I got two mouths to feed and I couldn't get the help I needed. So, you know, it was then that um, the first job uh, when I left campus you know, just putting my resume out there, monster career builder. I got a hit back. And um, I I was working a 100 percent commission job and I didn't know what 100 percent commission was. All I knew is wow. they told me, if you do this, you get paid this. I did the math and said rent is this much. Food is this much. Bills are this much. Clothes are this much. Here's how much I need. It means I need to do that this many times a month. And I went to it and was able to do it successfully enough that the president of the company came into the office, um, you know, and said, hey, Rodney, we want to open up a new market. He pointed to a map of the United States and looked at me and said, where do you want to go? And I'm like, what? Wow. <laughs> this, this, I'm 22. This is what I see happening in TV. Are you seriously asking me? Wow. Where do I want to go? So he was serious. He said, yeah. So again, but my thinking was all about my sisters. Mm-hmm. So the I made was to stay in Texas because I didn't know if switching a school district uh, out of state would hinder them from moving forward and progressing through school. So that's what sent us from, uh, you know, at that time I was in the Dallas area uh, to Houston. Okay. Wow. Wow. I'm telling you, that is awesome. I mean, because it could have went a whole nother direction. So I'm. I, that's wonderful to hear that, you know, it went that way. Uh we're going to talk some more about that. I'm looking at time. I was about to ask a question, but I said I better shut my mouth before I go over time here. We're going to take a quick commercial break. We'll be right back right after this. Let's return to Don't Box Me In with your host, Lana Reed. Welcome back. Welcome back. Don't box me in. Today I am with Rodney S. Jones, the CEO of Adjustment Bureau Consultant, who, uh, consulting, excuse me, teaches emerging leaders how to transition into high performance executives. And, uh, right before the commercial break, he was telling us about, uh, 22 years old, uh, drops out of college to take care of his two sisters and, uh, lands a 100% commission sales only uh job and manages to kick some butt there so uh let's let's go back to that point because that that in itself is amazing that whole sales thing is is for me that's a scary thing i I just don't have the personality for it so to meet somebody who can do that and then take it and, and run with it is amazing but you got the opportunity to you know uh open up a new market at this particular company and uh what happens after that well, you know, to, to go back just a little bit, I will say that, like I said, I, I didn't know I was working 100% sales job when I got the position. You know, they, they got me with the potential earning. You know, when uh-huh. they said 30,000 potential <laughs> earning, I was like, oh, that's what I need. You know, um, but when I got there and they, you know, they broke down what was, what we had to do, I didn't even get upset because, again, my thinking was, okay, so if I do that, if I need to do it eight times to live check to check, you're telling me you'll pay me even if I do it 20 times? So I'm just, you know, I'm hitting the ground and I'm I'm just hustling. I'm trying to win when other people are at lunch. I'm in the corner learning how to get better than when they are. So mm-hmm. after that, you know, I moved to Houston, the company, uh, it was a startup company. They they fizzled out and, you know, God is good because I, I was able to get wind of that before it actually happened. And I got a position at a um, at an IT company. And, you know, again, self-deprecation, I have no problem with it. I didn't even know what IT stood for. <laughs> All I knew again is that I need to beat my sisters. It, that's it. And so, you know, I went and here's the thing. This is where what I do comes into play. 
I took this interview, and of course, it's one of those interviews where, you know, they want someone with an IT background, and they're looking for a degree. You know, my thing is you have not because you asked not, so I put my resume in, and if you call me in for an interview, again, now I got confidence because of everything that I've done and everything I've gone through up to this point through middle school, high school, college, making this person, getting this confidence. It's like if you give me a shot in front of you, I'm going to make you want me. You know, regardless of what's on paper. And so, you know, the person, you know, looks at me, they they look at my, you know, I put what I have and what I don't have on the resume and they hire me. And when I when I started to learn the position, only thing that I saw was, OK, this is a relationship position. So you mean to tell me I understand sales if people like me, regardless of what degrees I don't have and what the fact that I don't know what IT stands for. And I actually looked it up fairly quickly. <laughs> um, you know, if they like me, they'll want to do business with me. So I just went out and started making relationships. And as I made relationships, you know, did fairly well. Um, and so that's how I, that's when this thing kind of started. It's like, hold on. So you mean to tell me that when they say degree preferred, if you go in there and you show them something better than a degree, you'll get chosen, you know, and that was the first time. And I like to say snatch because I like to give hope to people that, you know, are coming through the same path. People that maybe you're getting maybe you have a degree, but maybe you feel like your degree isn't isn't worth enough. Or maybe you went to a technical school. You got an associate's degree. You could still snatch a job from a four year degree, uh, you know, applicant, you know, because if I could do it, then you can definitely do it now. And that's what I coach on. Um, so after that, you know, there were a few other positions. Um, this, you know, after that position, my mom passed in an early age and I decided I wanted to learn about the financial industry. So that's when I started to get professionally licensed in the financial industry. Uh, and you know, I was, I spent six to, I think somewhere between six and eight years, uh, as a licensed financial professional practicing licensed financial professional. I still carry my licenses to this day. Um, but, you know, that's when at that point I started learning a lot about business. Mm -hmm. Now, I'll 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 say this and then I'll pause, give you an opportunity. You may you know have something you want to ask me. But I went to school to study music. I changed my major to, uh, and study African American history. Mm -hmm. First job I get is sales. After that, I get licensed in the financial industry. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> So we 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 are just Rodney is just well rounded. I mean, at at life throws him all of these curveballs, but it molds him into this well rounded person. Like you said, you have the finance, you have the sales, you know, the IT. I mean, but even all encompassing of that, you learn how to be successful in this business world, which you know I think even. When you go to your four-year university and somebody gets this wonderful degree, you know, they still don't understand the little nuances, the little perks of how to be successful once you get that piece of paper. And you got real-life experience that probably makes you, I'm not even going to say probably, which makes you more potent than somebody probably who has the paper sitting on the wall somewhere. Yeah. I mean, and that's and, and that's the thing that, that happened when, you know, I was I was 35 years old and I hit this wall, I was like, you know, what have I done? What have I done to help people? And then, you know, the thought comes in my mind that, you know, well, look at what you did for your sisters. And I'm like, yeah, you know, but what have I done to actually change and, and help impact somebody's life on a greater scale? And that's when the bug hit me to share my story and to actually form it in a way that it can be used as a teaching tool. And so... You know, there's this phrase that I have that a GPA shows you can pass a test, but life shows that you've been tested, you know. And and when I, you know, there was another position I got as a recruiter um, and, and it was during it. This was before 35. But as a recruiter, my job was to not only scour monster and career builder for resumes and interview potential candidates, but to also go out and talk to potential hiring managers to see what the best fit for them would be. So I'm making this marriage. And so I got real good at sitting on the opposite side of the table, looking at potential candidates and interviewing them to see what would fit. So, you know, all of my life experiences, my professional experiences, and then now with sitting on the opposite side of the table, knowing what a good candidate looks for, I look back then and say, if I knew all of this information when I went to my career center and said, hey, how do I compete with this person that's about to graduate? We probably wouldn't be talking right now. You know, <laughs> and so I say, okay, 
how can I give that back? Because I know it's still going on. You know, you can just read Forbes, read Entrepreneur Magazine, read Wall Street Journal. Employers are clamoring for people that have interpersonal skills and not just a GPA. They're not there. Yeah, the college degree looks nice now, but all you have to do is just Google it. The thing that employers are looking for first and foremost is professionalism, confidence and self-awareness. None of that says GPA. And those are all. And I love the word that you use nuances because that's the word I, I oftentimes use to describe what I do. None of that is going to be taught in a classroom. But all of those are subtle nuances that it took me years to actually learn by trial and error. But now I go out and teach them either on a speaking platform, on a coaching basis or in a training session to give people that that competitive advantage they need to leverage the content knowledge they already have to say, hey, here's some process skills to put with that content knowledge. Now, when you go out, they're going to look at you first before they look at anyone else. Awesome. You know, it seems listening to you talk and, you know, remembering, reflecting back on my college days and stuff like that, it just seems it would be much more beneficial to the uh, college uh, the soon-to-be college graduate, you know, we have these these tools given to us, you know, the career center where they go and, okay, here's your resume. and so, But it seems like you would also need somebody like Rodney to come and teach a class to say, hey, you know, not only do you need your resume, you need your degree, but I'm going to teach you how to present yourself with confidence and give yourself the skills, the interview skills to make you land that job It's because it's, it's more than just your GPA and your um, your degree, you know, it just seems like we should incorporate some of this into the college lifestyle when we push these graduates out there to go get a job. Um, that you would be very valuable to them on that level as well as they're exiting yeah. into the work world. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, I mean the the colleges are feeling it now because you know with the economy like it is, yeah, it it has rebounded, but you know it, it's still hard for college graduates to find a job. Now you know you see these bills being a, you know. Uh, contemplated about, you know what, let's put a different standard on our higher education. Let's start grading them according to employment rates. Let's see how many of their graduates actually get gainfully mm-hmm. employed after graduating. And you know what, if they don't make the mark, then we're going to cut some of this funding. A lot of schools are starting to feel that pinch and that wind is starting to blow at this point. So I'm glad that I was able to travel the path I've traveled when I did because it puts me at the forefront of a paradigm shift in our higher education transition to the employment world. And so, but right now it's still brand new and, and people feel as if, well, no, you know, you know, if I have a GPA in engineering, I can just move to California and open up a garage and make the next Facebook and I'll get rich. Okay. But one thing you need to know is that Zuckerberg didn't become you know, Facebook as a company, when it went public, it didn't do so on the merit of his charisma. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until Sheryl Sandberg got in the mix and said, OK, <laughs> let me see how to run this thing. And that's because she brought a different element. So brains alone, and that's not to diminish anything that he did, because we all, most of us use his, his service, but brains alone won't get it. You can be the smartest person and write the best code. But if you want to make money off of that code and you don't know how to communicate you know, and and come down to a level intellectually that the person buying it is on, then no one's going to understand what you have. And if you don't have the confidence to stand before someone who you may feel is more superior than you in that space, then you've already lost. And sure. and that was my thing is that I was t- I, I lost enough in life. I I got tired of shoes with holes in them. I'd gotten tired of a bare refrigerator. I'd gotten tired of not being able to go buy clothes. I got tired of losing. So mm-hmm. it was all about what can I add to me to give me an advantage to win? And that's what I'm giving back now is, look, here's that advantage. I mean, and the the proof is in the testimonies that I get, you know, anytime. And, and it's humbling. It's really, really humbling and, and extremely gratifying to know that now I'm doing something to impact and change someone's life. Okay. So real quick before we go to uh, commercial break, what when did you exactly uh, start Adjustment Bureau Consulting? Uh, in it, it was in its infancy stage in about 2010. Uh, that was when I, I hit this wall and, and asked myself that question and uh, had to figure out, you know, okay, how do I get this message out there? How do I get it to the masses? So it's been about five years. 
Okay, five years. And I'm assuming that everybody that comes through Adjustment Bureau Consultant gets to, to uh, study what they are not, if that's one of your mantras there. Exactly, exactly, because now the thing I do is before when I was I was studying what I wasn't, I wasn't the popular guy on campus, so I studied the popular people on campus. And now I've taken it to a different level, the same principle. I study what I'm not. CEO of a corporation, a major corporation. And so I study CEOs with the intent to take from them subtle nuances that they use on a day-to-day basis and surprisingly enough find that, you know what, I already do this. <laughs> and so when I, when I, the difference between me and them is they do it second nature. It's part of their fabric. So if I do it repetitively, it'll become part of my fabric. And you know that you're a CEO or CEO type quality when someone walks into your establishment and, you know, you're not the boss and they treat you like the boss. They expect you to be the boss. Yes, yes. I've had that experience quite a few times there. Uh, Rodney, we're going to take the last commercial break. Stay with me. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Don't Box Me In. Here's your host, Lana Reed. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back. Today I'm spending space and radio time with Rodney S. Jones. He is the CEO of Adjustment Bureau Consultant. Consulting. I cannot. I'm telling you, my mouth is going to work. Consulting. We're going to get that right. <laughs> just it's all right. No problem. No worries. I just want to chop it off like, Okay. So we were uh, discussing uh, your company before the break and what you do, and I want to make sure I cover that and and let everybody know who it is that you exactly help and what you can do for people uh, at your company. So let's start off with that. What type of people, what type of clients do you have there over at Adjustment Bureau Consulting? Bravo, bravo, bravo. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, what I do is uh, my heart is for – the college age student, okay. uh, that person that's about to go out into the business world for the first time. And really, uh, you're going to get smacked in the face because it's not like college. It, mm-hmm. it doesn't prepare you. So you, you have no idea. Um, my, so my heart is there because that's linked to my personal story. But the, if I were going to put it in general terms, you know, anyone who is looking to take the next step in their career and needs a competitive advantage. So that could be the young professional, that could be the seasoned professional, that can be the brand new entrepreneur, because in all of these facets of business, interacting with people and presenting yourself and winning the mental game, it's all a part of it. And so, you know, that person individually is who I look for when I coach. When I speak, I love to speak in the in the college circuit because you get to, you know, adults, some feel as if they know it. And it's even more humbling when I do have an audience of adults and they come to me and ask me, how can I, can you help me? Because it's like, you know, it takes a big person at this stage in their life and their career to admit that they, they're missing something. Mm-hmm. Um, so all that to say is that I, I prefer to work with sponges and not bricks, people okay. who want to absorb and not people who want to deflect. Um, so when I speak, I love the I love those platforms. Uh, and when I train, you know, I love training the uh, young professional groups uh, because those are people that are they're hungry, they're out there, they want to make a name for themselves. I mean, if you look at the way that g- generational trends are happening in the business world, the baby boomers are starting to retire, and the millennials and the Generation X we're starting to take things over. And but we got to know how to do so uh, in the right way and with the right approach in order to maximize the results that we want. And so, you know, that that group as well. So I, I hope I've capsulized it. I, I don't like to say everyone because I'm not for everyone, mm-hmm. um, you know, but the person that my heart is drawn to is definitely that college age person. But I can help anyone who feels as if there's a deficiency in their game and, and they want to get it get it to the point where they can win more times than lose. OK, OK. I like that. Now, I was panning through your course catalog that you have there on uh, the website, and I liked a lot of the topics, like a lot of the subjects there. Uh, some of them were like uh, 
developing high performance teams, high payoff hiring, um, employee engagement. Uh, now, when you're doing your thing, when you're out there, now I know you said you like to work with uh, like the college crowd, but I'm assuming uh, some of your work is geared towards companies and and you know people managers who are already trying to run something. Do you find that management, top level management, is just kind of clueless about some of this stuff, or how important it is to running their company? Or, I mean, um, no, well, actually, senior management is very aware. Okay. Of, of of the necessity of these types of skills and and these nuances, it's more times the worker. Oh, okay. You know, and and so in every training class, and I don't say every because there's been one where it hasn't happened, but <laughs> in most training classes, um, there's always that one, that bad apple. I prepare for that bad apple, that person that sits in the back, arms folded, like you know, I don't I, really need this. Uh, you know, yeah. Well, why am I here? You know, he's not talking to me. And and that's okay because I, I get it. I'm there to talk to the one person that does need it. So you can give me a room of 50 people, and if 49 of them want to look at me as if they don't want to be there but that one is engaged, I'm there for that one. Okay. Okay. Yeah, you always have those people. Okay, man, the manager's calling to me. I don't want to be here. I got work to do. I can yeah. be sitting at my desk. Why is he sitting up here talking? When is this going to be over? <laughs> I will say this, and, and knowing that, you know, makes me, you know, again, I'm I'm that person. I don't know if you remember that Dr. Pepper commercial where uh, everyone was wearing, you know, I'm a pepper, I'm a Dr. Pepper. Yes. This one clip of where everyone had a maroon shirt on. There was one person that had a white shirt on and she was going against the crowd to uh-huh. say, I'm a part of you, but I'm different. And that's me. So when I do train, my training classes are unlike most training classes that people have been through. And I can say that confidently because. You know, I'll give you an example. Um, I was booked to go do a three week training at the U.S. Marine Corps Logistics Base last year on very dry topics like data collection, data analysis. Um, but by the time the courses were done, you know, we were I was infusing, you know, ex- exercises and activities that brought the subject matter to life that actually not only had the people engaged, but clamoring to have me back because what they had been used to was PowerPoints and bullet points. Mm-hmm. Whereas when I bring, when I do my trainings there, you know, if I use a PowerPoint, it's only for pictorial use to, to further push a point home because mm-hmm. pictures, you know, do that, but they're laden with activities and exercises because I believe strongly in principles that if I can find out what you do in principle, Extract that principle, magnify it with a practical application that, you know, is something you're used to doing every day and then show you how to use that application in your day to day work. Then now you've taken the principle out of what you've done and you've making it that much more. You, you, I've simplified it. So I simplify the complex. I've simplified it to the point where is, again, if it becomes second nature and part of your fabric and you're doing it at a clip that says this is easy, now you start to rise above the peers in your organization and start to be looked upon as someone who can take on more responsibility, someone who needs to have a little bit more attention paid to them. Okay, okay. And I guess this, these types of things, um, you know, being the individual that gets paid a little bit more attention to, this is how we start to create these awesome and amazing teams that in turn have such a wonderful impact on the output of the, the company. Absolutely. Absolutely. You, you got it. Okay, cool, cool. Now, there's another thing that I wanted to, uh, just for my own little clarity, you talk about this thing called emotional intelligence. And um, I just want you to if you could explain a little bit in detail exactly what you say emotional intelligence is. Emotional intelligence, if I had to capsulize it, is it's just a matter of understanding how you tick mm-hmm. and making sure that when you interact with people, those characteristics don't ward people off. They actually engage others. So you have to understand, you know, your own purpose and how your purpose fits into the purpose of someone else. You have to have a a level of integrity. You have to. And the biggest thing is value. Um, I, I, I use very abstract ways to drive these points home and value being the main one. 
with my coaching clients, the first homework assignment, if you will, that I give them to drive home that they are more valuable than they think they are is I give them three things and your audience will love this. Um, I tell them, first of all, go to the mall, go into a store that you would normally bypass because you feel as if it's just too expensive. I can't afford anything and purposefully try on items of clothing as if you're going to buy it. Mm-hmm. And when you see the price tag, adapt this response instead of saying, oh, my gosh, that's too much. That's expensive because that equates to how valuable you think you are, regardless of what you have in a the bank. There's a value attached there. So adapt the phrase. That's not bad mm. because someone who has it, that's what they say. Regardless of the shoes being $2,000 or the tie being $500, if they don't like it, they say they, they, they respond to the product, not the price. Gotcha. So that's the first thing I have them do. The second thing I have them do is to go to the most affluent neighborhood where they're building new homes and walk through the home as if it were yours. Walk through as if you're coming home from work. Walk through as if, you know, you're going to your bedroom, as if you're going, you know, you walk through it as if it were yours. Because what you're doing is you're retraining your mind to now see that, you know what, this is just an item. And if circumstances align correctly, I can have this item. Mm-hmm. All that means is that I'm valuable enough to have items this valuable. Right. And the third thing I tell them doing all of these things I've done. So I, I, I always give things that I've done. The third thing I tell them to do is I ask, what's your dream car? You tell me their dream car. And so you need to go test your dream car before our next session. They look at me crazy like, what? Yes, you need to do that. When I was 27, had no money in the bank, my dream car was a Range Rover, a $92,000 vehicle. Um, but I knew everything about that car, studied it and everything. And then the day came, I went to the lot. Uh, the guy said, sir, may we help you? I said, yes, I'd like to test drive the Range Rover. And you know, I'm driving around in a Range Rover. Now, all of these three things, I tell my clients to do them because if you don't understand that you're more valuable than you think you are, if you don't have a self-worth about yourself that communicates to others that you are to be respected, you are to be heard, you are to be listened to, then the game stops right there. So the foundation of emotional intelligence when I teach it is that value component. You, if you don't value yourself, we got a bigger problem. And if you come to me with that being the problem, that's the first problem we're going to spend the most time on because without that, nothing else works. Everybody needs to understand their value. Uh, I mean, wow, that's a whole nother conversation. And unfortunately, Rodney, we are at the end of the hour here. It, it's gone so fast. Um, my guest today has been Mr. Rodney S. Jones. Please, please, please visit his website. Let me get this right. Let me get this right. Adjustment bureauconsulting.com Rodney, thank you, thank you so much for spending time with me today. I wish you all the best. It's been such a pleasure. Lana, it's been my pleasure. I appreciate the time spent. And uh, again, you know, we, we got to do it again sometime. So feel free to reach out to me. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, thank you, thank you. That is all for this week's show. I'll be back next week at the same time. Until then, remember when it comes to your dreams, the words can't and won't should never slow you down. There's always space to change and to grow. Don't be boxed in. Live your very best life. I am your host, Lana Reed, and I'll see you all next week. <laughs>